Welcome back to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. With a little bit of a break in the NBA schedule due to the wait before the conference finals, I figured it would be a good time to start looking at the draft. And just as I thought that, our resident draft expert came out with his top 40 big board for Hashtag Basketball. So I'm here today with Tyler Metcalf. And Tyler, how are you? I'm great, Nick. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, Big Board just came out recently and everyone should go check it out. So let's run through that Big Board really quickly. Obviously, you should read the article on hashtag basketball.com under the draft section, either as soon as you're done listening to this or as you're listening to this. But number one on the Big Board is Luka Doncic, currently playing in the ACB League. He may end up being the EuroLeague MVP. He's had an incredibly impressive season in the second best basketball league in the world, and he just turned 19 years old. In a lot of ways, his production is kind of unprecedented, but there is a little bit of a debate whether Luka should be the number one overall pick. What are your thoughts on his status on the draft board? So I think a lot of that debate purely comes from people seeing more of Aiden than Doncic because he is overseas. Um, I, I don't think it's a close debate. I think Doncic is an incredible talent, and, and he's been dominating the world's second-best league as a teenager. Uh, he, he has just a killer mentality. He can score from all over the place. His vision and ball handling are very advanced, especially for his age. And I think there are just too many concerns with Aiden's defense to take him over Luka. I'm not sure it's just the negatives of Aiden's defense that would make me want to take Luka first, as much as the fact that Luka is dominating playing against a bunch of professionals, you know, people late 20s, even early 30s, whereas all the rest of the college prospects, maybe they're putting up numbers, but they're not doing it against longtime professionals like Luca has been since he was 17. Right, and that, that, that wasn't trying to rip on Aiton because he, he's a very good prospect and great player. But like you said, Luca is a teenager. He's been dominating against grown men for a couple of years now. He's a 6'8 point guard. I mean, how, how rare is that? And he just he has the potential to be just a really, really good, good long-time starter, and that's hard to find a lot of years in, in the draft. Now, the one potential downside for Luca is that he has occasionally struggled against quicker, more athletic players, but even if his defense never really lives up to the hype of his offensive potential, I think it would be hard for any team picking number one overall to go with anyone else. Yeah, I agree. He's not the greatest athlete. Um, There are a lot of clips out there where he kind of shows some surprising explosiveness around the rim, but moving side to side, especially on defense, is really where he kind of struggles. I don't think it'll end up being that big of an issue, though, because of how smart of a player he is. He knows where to be when he's supposed to be there. Um, he, He knows where the ball's moving, so... Will he be able to keep up with guys? No. Will he get blown by sometimes? Yes. But he's not going to have the positional issues that we see out of a lot of guys who are, who are just bad defenders. And speaking of those positional issues, 
Let's move on to the other prospect who is at least being considered for potential status as the number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton, who is an absolute athletic freak, seven foot one, rumored to have a 45 inch vertical, which is beyond absurd. He's built like a five year NBA veteran already, and his upside is just tremendous, but He's also a big man prospect that struggled mightily on the defensive end in college. What are your thoughts on Aiton? Like you said, when when you look up physical freaks, he's the first example. And the guy is built. He's very muscular. And he has a frame where he's going to continue to add that strength. Um, and in college, he just bullied guys in the post. His offensive game is really strong because he has a solid low post game, um, can shoot it from outside, and has surprisingly good passing vision. The issue is, is he's just a complete negative on defense, and he, he seemed uninterested. He got caught just ball-watching, uh, late on rotations, where he would try and come up with a weak side block that he wouldn't even get close to, and his man would just get an easy putback bucket. The difference that I see between Aiden and Doncic in terms of their potential defensive issues, Aiden plays a much more defensively important position. It'll be not easy, but not particularly hard for NBA teams to hide Doncic on the defensive end, whether he plays point guard, whether he's more of a wing type player once he gets to the NBA, secondary creator. It'll be easier to hide him on the defensive end, whereas if you're having Aiden manning the middle, it'll be a lot harder for him to hide. Now, that being said, Aiton played in a too-big scheme at Arizona, which didn't exactly fit his talent all that well, which at least gives me some cause for hope for maybe getting better on the defensive end in his first couple of years in the NBA. But having such a negative manning the middle on defense is really going to be tough for teams to build around. And even if Aiton does manage to hit his incredible offensive ceiling, those defensive problems could really come back to bite him. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of his lack of awareness and uncomfortability on defense was due to kind of being forced into that power forward role. When I mean, he's 7-1, there's no reason he shouldn't be at center. Um, so I mean, if that is the case, that's a huge plus. But just he was never in the right spot when he needed to be. He had a lower block rate in college than Carl Anthony Towns did. And Towns is, you know, he's not been a good defender in the pros. So I'm, I'm, I'm worried that Aiton, you know, might end up being a really good offensive player like Aninos Canner, but just can't play defense at all. Moving on to someone who definitely will be able to play defense at the next level in Jaron Jackson Jr. And I think that... There's almost no chance that Jaron Jackson will be a bust just because he's got such a varied skill set that it seems unlikely that he's going to fail completely at the NBA level. There are certainly some concerns about him, but it seems like either he or Doncic has the highest floor in this draft. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to stick with Doncic for the highest floor just because he's been doing it at the pro level for a couple of years now. But I, I love Jaron Jackson. I mean, this kid can play. He's one of the best interior defenders uh, in, in the draft, and, and he's really just one of the best overall well-rounded big men while being one of the youngest players in the draft. 
Um, and he's kind of scrawny right now, obviously, relatively speaking. Um, but as he continues to add muscle and kind of fill out, he's going to be a really, really good defensive player um, who's still able to be an offensive weapon when needed as his career develops. And like you said, there's, I think there's essentially no way that he's not going to be a really good starter for a long time. The one concern I do have about Jaron Jackson, and I don't think this will lead to him failing in the NBA by any stretch, but it is at least worth looking at, is I'm not sure if his jump shot will be able to translate to the NBA just because it's a little slow, his release is a little bit low, and even though he was able to shoot relatively effectively in college, it might be harder for him to get that shot off in the pros. Yeah, and the, the outside shot is more of just a bonus for him, I think, at this point. Uh, and his mechanics are a little funky um, because his his release motion is kind of like a slingshot instead of being a f- one fluid motion. But when he's left open, and he'll, he'll be able to hit down shots or knock down shots at a pretty consistent rate. But he isn't the type of player where he's going to force those shots if he's guarded. Um, and his offensive game is a lot of put the ball on the floor, you know, once or twice and go up with it or catch and shoot when you're open. He he rarely forced the issue and really just kind of played within himself a lot of the time. Moving on to number four on the board, Mikhail Bridges had a wonderful college career at Villanova. The main question I have on his end is, will NBA teams be willing to select him in the top portion of the lottery when he's already 22 years old and there might be questions about how much more room he has left to grow. They should be willing to take him because he's one of the best players in this draft. He's extremely mature. He's one of, if not the best wing defender in the draft. He can score in multiple ways and, and he's shown massive improvements over the last three years at Villanova. It's like, yes, he is a junior, but it's rare to see juniors improve as much as he has across the board. I mean, Jalen Brunson won all the awards this year, but Mikhail Bridges was easily Villanova's best player. The other question I had about Bridges, and I don't want it to sound like I'm questioning his ability because I think he's another very high floor player who's almost certainly going to succeed at least at minimum as a role player in the NBA. But My question on that front is, will he be able to bulk up enough to spend some time at power forward? Because I think if he can be sort of a 3-4 defender rather than just a pure wing defender, he might be able to be a lot more effective at the next level. But if he can't add that bulk, I think that lowers his ceiling a little bit. I think he will. Once he's put into these NBA programs where it's his full-time job and he has these full-time cooks and dietitians and strength and conditioning coaches 24-7, I think he will add muscle. I don't think it'll be a ton, though. I think I would like to see him kind of take the approach that Durant and Ingram have taken where they're, they're really scrawny guys coming out of college, but instead of just packing on the muscle right away, they've kind of stretched it out over the years so they didn't shock their body and increase the chance of injury. Um, I, he's not going to get bulky, but he, he'll, he'll get stronger. And I think he'll still be able to use or be used as a 
uh, defender on on the fours due to his length and his he has a really long wingspan. He's a tall guy and a good leaper, so he's he's going to be able to contest shots at every point of the floor. Coming up next is, I think, the player that the two of us disagree the most about, actually, in the lottery. You have Michael Porter Jr. at number five on your board. I am very much out on Michael Porter, so I would love to have you convince me of why you want to have him this high up on your draft board. Yeah, he he was kind of hard. Um, I essentially just completely ignored the two games we saw from him this year. He had back surgery and missed the entire season and came back and late in the conference tournament and then the NCAA tournament game. And the guy hadn't played any basketball all year. He was way out of shape. And it almost seemed like he was trying, he was forcing the issue on offense where he was just trying to prove to people that, 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 that he was a good player instead of just kind of easing himself in and playing and not making himself be the guy. I don't think my biggest concerns about Porter are even related to that rough couple of games after he finally returned from that injury. My biggest concern with him is that I'm not sure that he will really be able to take full advantage of his talents if he continues to have such terrible, terrible shot selection. And granted, that looked a lot worse in the couple games after he came back from that back injury. But even with his high school tape, it's hard for me to see him as anything more than an inefficient chucker, a worse version of Andrew Wiggins type at the next level. That was one of the issues I struggled with with when rating him. Um, I kind of bounced him between you know this spot um, and late lottery. But I, I kind of felt like I had to leave him higher just due to his potential and the guy's a really good shooter with great physical abilities and i i worry that he is going to be that inefficient offensive player that just forces shots and forces the issue unless he gets put into a good system and i do i I think he's one of those guys where it's his career is going to entirely rely on what team he ends up going to right away ideally um seeing him in a system that will run him off screens and back cuts and kind of use him more off the ball early in his career instead of as like one of the primary ball handlers, I think would do wonders for him and would help him get really buy into like the whole team mentality aspect of basketball. Moving on to number six on your board, Marvin Bagley. And Bagley had a very impressive freshman season at Duke after reclassifying to move up a year, basically, in terms of the draft. And Bagley is an incredible athlete who plays harder than pretty much anyone else on the floor whenever he's playing. Excellent rebounder. My biggest concern with Bagley is will he be able to defend well enough at either power forward or center to stay on the floor and allow his offensive skill set near the rim and rebounding to be put to use. I, I don't think there are really any situations where where teams should play him at the five unless they're going like real small. Ideally, he should get paired with a, a, a true rim protector, but you know there are only so many teams that actually have that. But he's kind of in that awkward size speed combination where he's not quite 
big enough to guard big men and not quite quick enough to guard wings, but and the guy just works so freaking hard that I'm I have concerns, but I, I think just his work rate and his effort on at during every second he's on the floor, I think will 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 overcome his inefficiencies. And that work ethic and effort is part of why I think that Bagley will be able to succeed at the next level because he's never needed to have a jump shot before. He's been such an athletically dominant player that he hasn't needed to shoot from the outside before in his career. But give him a couple of years with a good shooting coach, and I think he'll be able to develop at least to the point where he can have a solid mid-range jumper. And honestly, given his rebounding ability, his effort, and his finishing ability near the rim, I think that'll be all he really needs. Let's move on to someone who's almost the exact opposite, I think, of Bagley as a big man prospect in Mo Bamba, who's a pure center, I would say. Seven foot with a seven foot nine wingspan, really good lateral mobility for someone at that size, but... His offensive game, other than maybe two feet from the rim, is a huge question mark. Yeah, it's he's really confusing because in college, I mean, he's clearly one of, if not the best shot blockers in the country. He has an absurdly long wingspan paired with his very, you know, tall height. And during the season, he showed essentially nothing on offense other than dunking or layups. Um, and then we've seen videos of him working out, hitting threes and turnaround fadeaways and like developing a post game. So I'm hoping that all of those come out and are actual weapons that he can use and tools that he can utilize. But I, I have major concerns that it's just one of those things where he's going to look really good doing that stuff in a gym with no one around him and is never able to transfer that into an actual game setting. The other thing I'm concerned about with Bamba is I'm worried about his intensity just in the sense that if he's going to be the kind of defensive monster that he has the potential to be, those guys, the guys that are best at that, you know, the Rudy Gobert's of the world, they just want to kill you every single possession. And I'm just not sure that Bamba has that kind of fire and that is almost more concerning to me than questions about whether his jump shot can actually translate to the next level. It, it's really weird because I mean, he had a ton of blocks in college, but at the same time seemed passive and indifferent. And I mean, everything you read and hear from him and about him, though, is that he wants to be and thinks he is the best player. Uh, and in an interview, recent interview, they asked him if he would want to play for his hometown Knicks, and he laughed and made the comment, oh, I didn't know that they were in contention for the one. So I mean, the guy clearly has a ton of confidence in himself and thinks he's going to be great, and all the workout reviews and stuff that you hear from him, he works his butt off. And I'm hoping that it's just a case that and he knew he was going to be a one-and-done uh, prospect, before he even got to college. So I'm hoping it's just one of those things where he kind of felt bored playing against these lesser talented, shorter, weaker college kids and just was kind of going through the motions. And speaking of confidence, let's talk about the most polarizing prospect in this draft, which is Trey Young. Oh, he's fun. The first half of the college season, he looked like Steph Curry reincarnated. 
the second half of the season was not great. And the thing about Trey Young is that you could argue that his poor second half was basically due to every team that played Oklahoma realizing that there was only one player that they needed to guard at any given time. And I'm not sure about Young just because his shooting when he's on is remarkable, but his defense is non-existent. And if the first half is indicative of the kind of NBA player he's going to be, he could be a multiple-time All-Star. And if the second half is indicative of the kind of player he's going to be, I'm not sure he finishes out his rookie contract. Yeah, I, I love this debate, and especially how quickly everyone just turned on him. And like you said, first couple months of the season, he was the next Steph Curry. He was better than Steph Curry. And ESPN was having Trey Young stat watches on the bottom of the screen for his games. And then, you know, he conference play started and everyone turned on him. And I honestly don't think the type of player he was really changed a whole lot. I and mean, when you watch him, I mean, he has taken the same shots. He was making the same passes. His team was just an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, he had to do everything on that team. He had a usage rate of 37, which is absurd. And it was second in the country. And the only other team guys around him for that were guys from real small schools. Uh, and once he got into conference play, every everyone just started doubling him and trying to make anyone else on his team try and make a shot, which they obviously couldn't. And the guy still led the nation in points and assists per game. Yeah, he turned the ball over a lot, but that's because he was the only one on the team that could make a pass or dribble the ball. And yeah, he's not going to be a good defender. I mean, that's but that's not something you're going to worry about. And when he doesn't have to have the ball 90% of the time on offense, you know, maybe he has more energy to at least kind of get in the way on defense. It's interesting because I think the Trey Young debate really falls for a lot of people on one side of the spectrum or the other, where either he's the next Steph Curry or he's the next Jimmer Fredette. But I honestly think that the most likely outcome for him is that he becomes a stellar sixth man, sort of a Lou Williams type, but obviously better passing vision, slightly less able to get to the line and score near the rim. But I think he could be a really effective bench player. And who knows, maybe his shooting is good enough for him to become a regular starter despite those defensive issues. But I think that because of the way his college season played out, people think he's going to be either a superstar or a failure. And I think it's highly likely that he ends up sort of somewhere in the middle being an excellent bench player, but maybe not a starter for a top-level NBA team. Let's move on from Trey Young to Wendell Carter, who is an interesting player to try to evaluate. I think Wendell Carter is very indicative of the new NBA tweener where 10, 15 years ago, the tweener was sort of between the three and the four, not sure whether they were a small forward or the power forward. I think in the modern NBA, it's more of a debate of a tweener between the four and the five, where maybe they're not big enough or good enough defensively to play center, but not quite a good enough shooter to play power forward in a lot of these four out offenses. And I think Carter kind of falls squarely into that mix 
but he does have enough of a varied game that I think he can be an effective role player, even if he can't be a full-time starter at either the four or the five. He'll definitely have a long career. He's one of those kind of do-it-all bigs where he's good at a lot of stuff, but, you know, he's not great at, you know, one specific thing. He kind of reminds me a lot of Al Horford or Paul Millsap, where he's he, he could play four or five depending on what the roster is looking like, but he'll be able to score in the post. Um, and he's not as good of a defender as Horford, but he's not a complete negative, as, and he improved a lot over the year. He can space the floor when needed, attack on the drive on when guys close out too hard. So I, I think he's going to be a really nice player. He may not be, you know, he's probably not going to be a multi-time all-star, but he's going to be a key part in a team's rotation for a really long time. Moving on to number 10, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And he's a really intriguing prospect to me because I think he's another one of those guys that a team who picks him in the late lottery or just outside the lottery is going to be really happy with him. But if I were a team higher up in the draft, I'm not sure he would be the kind of guy that I'm willing to take a swing at with, say, the seventh or eighth overall pick. I completely agree. He's a really good player and kind of a weird Kentucky prospect. As He started the season on the bench and just kept playing better and better as the year went on and played his way into the starting lineup and played his way into being a lottery pick, really. And he's not a great shooter, but he's shown flashes, but it wasn't on you know, very many attempts. His his offense comes from his ability to get to the rim. I mean, he's a big point guard, and he has really good ball handling. I mean, he's six six, so a lot of the guys he's gonna gonna be covering are gonna be a lot shorter than him. And he's just a ball hawk and a nightmare to deal with on defense. And now we move to yet another polarizing point guard prospect in Colin Sexton, who his Effort slash constant intensity slash willingness to kill pretty much everybody on the opposing team at any given time reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook, but he doesn't have the same kind of nuclear athleticism or skill set of Russell Westbrook, obviously. That being said, anybody who can score 40 points playing three on five (laughs) and almost will their team to victory is certainly worth a look in the lottery portion of the draft. That that game was not fun for me to watch as I'm a... Minnesota alumni, so I was definitely sweating that as this guy's going off and just destroying my team down two players. And when you watch him, he's so freaking competitive and just wants to kill whoever his opponent is. And a, a, fu- a really fun game for of his to watch is when they played Oklahoma, and he was just convinced that Trey Young was going to do nothing against him that game. And he plays super hard and. Is he the best player in this draft? No, but he he really might be one of, if not the most fun players to watch. The thing that I worry about with Sexton is that his vision and shooting really aren't good enough to, for him to be a starting point guard in my mind. And even though he's got a six seven wingspan, I'm not sure he's big enough to really defend well off ball. And also, given his shooting issues, I'm not sure his offensive skill set is really fit to be an off-ball type of player. He He's kind of in that weird zone where he, he should be a point guard, but he's not a good enough passer to be a point guard. Um, it, it'd be nice to see him get paired with another 
guard who ha- has that type of passing vision. He's shown some success shooting off the catch. So it, it, I'm really intrigued to see if a team tries to like run him through screens and get him involved that way instead of giving him the ball because I'm afraid that he's just going to force it way too much of the time and put up really contested and inefficient shots. And he he's a decent passer. It's just when he when he gets the ball, he kind of gets blinders on and kind of gets tunnel vision. Next up, Miles Bridges, who might have been in the top half of the lottery if he had stayed in the draft after his freshman season. Instead, he stuck around for another year. Michigan State obviously flamed out in the tournament. Wasn't really a particularly good look for Miles. And he didn't really build on enough of his weaknesses from his freshman season to push his way up the draft board. That being said, I think he can still be a really effective player. My main question with him is really where he's going to play just positionally in the NBA. He he should be a four. I mean, he he should be willing to do what Carmelo was never willing to do, and that's play the four because and he's he showed he's a decent shooter. He'll be low to mid thirties from outside, but he's never going to light it up from out there. So and he's an absolute freak athlete. So if he can get those bigger defenders on him out on the wing and drive past them, and I I think he'll have a really nice career. He's I, I don't know why. I mean, I guess Tom Izzo kind of felt that he had to appease their start, their uh, starting center by playing him at center and then playing both Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges out of position down the spot um, all year. But I mean, Jackson should have been a five all year. Bridges should have been the four all year. He's good enough at scoring. He needs to improve his ball handling and uh, passing though. Right now, those are pretty rough because as he drives, teams are going to just collapse on him to try and limit his leaping ability and finishing around the rim. So if he's able to develop that drive and kick ability, he'll, he'll be a really nice weapon for some teams. Up next, Robert Williams, another player who returned to college after an impressive freshman season that probably would have landed them in the lottery. Williams is a six foot nine center, but that's a bit misleading because he has a seven foot five wingspan and is an absolutely ridiculous athlete, especially near the rim. I think the question with Robert Williams is can he really do anything more than be a rim running center? That being said, if you're looking at the late lottery slash mid first round, Getting that type of player is really valuable, and you could see that with Montrez Harrell, both on the Rockets and on the Clippers, having someone who is just really, really good at running to the rim in the pick and roll can get you 15 to 20 minutes a game, even if you can't really do anything else. His offensive focus really shouldn't be anything more than screening and rolling and finishing at the rim. He's He can't shoot really at all. Um, but his biggest issue is that he's kind of lazy when it comes to the little things. I mean, he needs to tighten up his screens. He often bails out of those too quickly, making it way too easy for defenders to just collapse back on him. And I mean, he doesn't box out a whole lot. And on defense, he he's very susceptible to pump fakes, where he'll if if you just make even a little bit of a fake, he's gonna jump over you. Um, so I mean, he could get in foul trouble a lot, but 
then again, he's kind of the prototypical big man now where they need to be good rim protectors and good rim runners, and which helps teams space the floor for their other shooters. And the last of the players you have in the lottery in the big board, Kyrie Thomas, he will have a long NBA career. There's no doubt in my mind about that because he is arguably the best defensive guard in the draft and he'll be able to carve out a career just based on that defense. My question is, will he be able to do enough of the secondary point guard things to be able to be an effective NBA player? Because I'm not sure he really has the size to be a full-time wing player. I think so. I mean, he's... He, he's kind of sl- a little sloppy with his ball handling and playmaking right now, but I think a lot of that is just due to him needing to develop the confidence. If he gets into a team situation where they help build that confidence, I think he's going to be really good and you know a little more creative where he doesn't telegraph his passes as much. I'm not really worried about his height. We've seen smaller guys be able to guard bigger guys all the time. And that's because they have really strong lower bodies and long wingspans. And that's exactly what Thomas has. And he'll be able to battle. Um, And you're not going to want to put him on a four or five, but I'm not concerned with him defensively covering or when he gets switched on to bigger opponents, because he's going to be able to fight them and hold them off with that lower body strength. And offensively, he needs to tighten up his playmaking, but that'll that'll come. That's one of the... I don't want to say easier, but more common traits that guys can develop. And he's shown the ability to shoot pretty well from outside. All right. So now that we are outside of the top 14, we're going to go through the remaining prospects in the top 40 lightning round style. So I'm going to throw out names. Tyler's going to give quick takes. And then I'll throw in a little more flavor before we move our way on down the board. Starting with number 15, Kata Bates Diop. Really intriguing offensive and defensive versatility, really great instincts, and is just a smart ball player. Issue is he's hurt a lot in college and tended to just kind of fade or shy away from uh, banging with guys in the post, or um, he just kind of seemed uninterested at times. He's the kind of player that if I were an NBA team, I would love to take in the middle of the first round just because if you're a playoff team, I think he's got the basketball IQ and the skill set to be a contributor right away. Absolutely. Maybe he doesn't have the highest ceiling, but it's hard for me to see him flaming out. Next up, Kevin Knox. He kind of reminds me of a poor man's Carmelo Anthony. And he's a good scorer, but if he doesn't have the ball, he loses interest on offense and just kind of stands around. Not a great three-point shooter, um, but does a good job finishing at the rim. Should be run through a lot of screens. Yeah, just that work rate, he forces shots a lot, and defense just has never really seemed to be an interest of his. I think he can be an effective scorer off the bench, but I'm really worried about what he will do when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, which he's not going to as much at the NBA level. Next up, Zanin Musa. Really good scorer, uh, surprisingly good rebounder. Um, he He's really good at drive and kick, can shoot from outside. Again, one of the, these wings who is a versatile offensive player um, can hurt you in a lot of ways, but defensive engagement just isn't there. 
I think he's a lot better of an athlete than people give him credit for, but his defense still looks terrible because of the commitment, like you mentioned. Even if he is a better athlete than people might think he is, it doesn't really matter if he doesn't pay attention on the defensive end of the floor. Absolutely. Next up, Jonte Porter. Really, really, really smart player, versatile on offense, can score from the post. He's good off the dribble, uh, can shoot from outside. Isn't a great athlete though, so which is really going to limit his defensive ability. And he'll he'll be in the right spot, um, but he won't be able to really con- be a good shot contester, and he'll struggle finishing through contact on offense. My hottest draft take is that Jonte might end up being the better NBA player of the two Porter brothers. Oh, I love it because he has enough of a complementary skill set after having played alongside his brother for so long that I think it's a lot less likely that he'll flame out at the next level. Moving on, Lonnie Walker. He was kind of thrust into the main scoring role after Bruce Brown got hurt, and he kind of lived up to the hype. He's a great athlete with long, long wingspan, so he projects as a good defensive player as long as he can stay engaged. He can score inside and out, finish strong at the rim, Again, just one of those guys that was a poor decision maker and just kind of faded or seemed uninterested when he wasn't involved on offense. Lonnie Walker had a really strange college season, but I think he showed enough during his time at Miami to make me think that he'll be a competent role player at the next level for sure. Moving on, Zaire Smith. This guy can just leap out of the gym. And when you watch him dunk, his elbows are bent and his head is above the rim. He works his butt off on defense and will be able to guard one, two, three, um, maybe four, a little bit of force too. Uh, he moves well off the ball. He just can't shoot. And when he has the ball in his hand, he's really unconfident with it. Not a great passer, sloppy dribbling. Um, so I mean, if he's not able to tighten up any of that, he, he, he could flame out quickly. But if he's able to develop any sort of offensive ability, uh, he, he could be a really good rotation guy. If he finds the right coach who can teach him to cut really effectively, I think his defensive bona fides and his ridiculous athletic ability will make him a pretty solid fifth starter for whatever team ends up getting him. Next up, Melvin Frazier. Another 3 and D guy. Um, I mean, he's not well-known because he played at Tulane and they didn't really play anyone, but he's a good defender. Works really hard, good athlete, can shoot the three pretty consistently. He just isn't very confident with the ball in his hands. Sloppy sloppy dribbler, his passing vision is pretty limited. And due to that ball handling, or lack thereof, uh, he, he kind of struggles to create any space for the shot off the dribble. I don't think he has a particularly similar play style to OG Ananobi, but I could see him having a very similar rookie year to Ananobi if he ends up on the right playoff team that can use his skills. I think it'll be pretty easy for him to find a role and succeed in that role for the next 10 years in the NBA. Next up, Aaron Holiday. Younger brother of Justin and Drew, uh, really good offensive player, can just a really, really good shooter. Uh, does a great job of getting his teammates involved and working his butt off at both ends of the floor. He isn't a great athlete, though, and when he's put under a lot of pressure from the defense, he can 
tend to make the wrong decision and turn the ball over a lot, like we saw in his uh, one NCAA tournament game this year. And just when it comes to scoring, he's kind of a hit or miss where he'll, he has the ability to go off for 30, but could, you know, only score five. He's an excellent shooter, and he's got a pretty big wingspan despite only being 6'1". I think he could be a really effective eighth or ninth man for the next 10 years. And certainly, Justin Holiday's NBA success makes me think that's a pretty likely outcome. Next up, Raleigh Hawkins. Really good defender. He's one of these stocky wings. Kind of reminds me a little of Marcus Smart. Um, he, he plays with really high energy. He's a really good athlete. Uh, but really limited on offense, uh, not much of a shooter. He needs to work on playing off ball and cutting. If he finds a coach that can really teach him how to do that, that would probably be where his points come from. And for how good of an athlete he is, he should be a much better rebounder than he is. I'm really worried about his bust potential Yeah, because he seems to play like he thinks he's a lot better than he actually is. And that's bad enough at the college level, and that'll be a real problem if he continues to play like that in the NBA. Next up, DeAnthony Melton. Great, great defender. Contest shots as good as any guard in the country. Really quick hands, has a long wingspan, and great lever. So he's a really good rebounder. His shooting was really inconsistent. He needs to get a little stronger than we saw. Um, and just tighten up his ball handling. He's kind of predictive. and needs to improve that aspect so he can get better at getting to the rim on offense. Losing this last year of development in terms of playing time at USC could really hurt him, but if he gets the right coach, I think he could be molded into a really solid contributor just based on his athletic ability. Next up, Grayson Allen. Oh, everyone's favorite player. A great shooter. He's a really smart player, despite what people think with the tripping stuff. Surprisingly good athlete, and he can, not not a great first step or lateral quickness, but he can really explode off the ground. We saw a lot of primary ball handling and playmaking ability from him this year. He's just, he was so bad on defense, and there there's always that maturity concern with him. He's going to be a backup shooting guard in the NBA for the next 10 years, and everybody that isn't a fan of whatever team he plays for is going to absolutely (laughs) hate his guts. He's the archetype of the Duke player that everybody loves to hate. Next up, Jacob Evans. Another guy who just works his butt off on the defensive end. Really smart. Uh, he, He showed a lot of consistency when spotting up from outside. Good athlete, not a whole lot of ability off the dribble. Um, hits the ball off and stopped with him on offense too, where he would miss making the second pass or be, you know, a second or two late making it. So he he really needs to just while he's a really smart defensive player, he needs to improve that on the offensive end. I'm really high on Jacob Evans. I think that whatever team gets him is going to be incredibly happy with him. I don't think he has particularly excellent upside, but I could definitely see him being a fifth starter on a solid team for many years to come. Up next, Josh Okogie. Great rebounder for a guard. Um, and he plays with a really high energy level, almost rival to uh, Sexton. He has a lot of defensive versatility with his length and moves off the ball really well. He does a great job of running through screens and getting the, his scoring opportunities that way. 
his shooting form's a little funky and not consistent and he just he doesn't see the floor very well but with how hard he works i you know that that's definitely something that will improve he's got great upside but i don't see him being the kind of player that can really contribute all that much in his rookie year up next chandler hutchison speaking of improving this guy has just worked his butt off every year he's he's one of the older players and he probably won't grow a whole lot more but he's grown a ton since his freshman year and he wants to get better um and his work ethic and his desire to to be better is you know top tier especially in this draft he has the length to be a good defender he's improved shooting from outside by tightening up his form and just getting it as one fluid motion and he just needs to improve his uh ball handling he doesn't do a great job of shooting off the dribble or really creating space um for his shots is since he has a a lower release point he seems like a very solid role player type who has a pretty high floor especially for this late in the first round but i don't see him being more than a ninth or tenth man at the next level up next jalen brunson he's one of these guys that he's falling because he's older I and mean, we know what we're gonna get with him he's an he's gonna be a long time he's gonna have a long nba career and he's a really smart player can shoot uh surprisingly good post game um really good passer great decision maker he's, he's not a great athlete so he'll he'll get exposed some on defense uh just due to not being a, as good of an athlete and being a little smaller um and that size will limit him in his ability to create off the dribble because he just isn't really able to blow by guys or create that space that well he reminds me a lot of frank mason where Nobody wants to pick him that high in the first round, or they'll maybe even wait on him until the second round, and then he'll get picked, and he'll be a really effective role player, and he'll be one of the league's better backup point guards for 10 years, and everybody will feel stupid for not drafting him because of his age, because he clearly has the basketball ability to be an effective backup point guard at the next level. And closing out the top 30, Mitchell Robinson. Uh, He's... A complete lottery ticket. I mean, he had a really weird recruitment where he was one of the top or higher recruits and then for some reason committed to Western Kentucky and then completely pulled his commitment and skipped playing college basketball altogether. And he's a freak athlete, great shot blocker, and finishes really strong at the rim. He doesn't have a very good feel for the game, and I'm just with all that uncertainty with his recruitment i'm just really concerned about his mentality and maturity and how hard he's willing to work and improve i think he would be an incredibly smart pick for one of the top tier teams picking at the back end of the first round because he's got incredible upside and i think if you're picking that late in the first round it's worth trying to take a home run swing on a guy but i'm really worried that he's the next cliff alexander next up troy brown Attacks the rim really well. He showed some flashes of shooting from outside, but was really inconsistent with it. Good athlete. Um, his, his shooting form needs to get a lot quicker. He's really slow on it right now, so it's easy for defenders to close out on him. And he's just always seems to be a second late. So his awareness needs to improve on both ends of the floor um, just to tighten up making those rotations or making that extra pass. 
I'm not really that sold on him because if you're the kind of prospect that he is, I think you need to have a lot better feel for the game to succeed at the next level, and I just don't see that with him. Next up, Anthony Simons. Pure scorer, great ball handler, and great athlete. Um, and he does a really good job of creating his shot and finishing at the rim. The issue is that he kind of projects as a point guard, but isn't a good, but doesn't play point guard all that well. Um, he's not a very good passer. Decision making is questionable. And when he gets pressure, he kind of seems to panic and make errant passes and turn the ball over a lot. And then defensively, he just didn't see, he never, or he rarely seemed engaged. He makes Deer and Fox look like Raymond Felton. And the first time he drives to the basket in the NBA, he's going to get both of his legs broken just yeah. by a guy touching him a little bit too hard. I think he'll need at least a couple of years to be able to put on the kind of weight he'll need to even be able to drive towards the rim at the next level. Next up, Chimezi Metu. Good shot blocker, um, pretty explosive, needs to add some muscle, um, sur- does a surprisingly good job of attacking off the dribble. Pretty good ball handler, especially for his size. His shooting consistency from the mid-range um, need- needs a lot of work, and he was often late on rotations or would make the wrong rotation on defense, and and just needs to bulk up if he wants to play center in the NBA. I think he could be an effective contributor at the next level. My main concern with him is just if he'll be able to contribute enough on the offensive end to get playing time. Next up, Shake Milton. Great scoring guard, good shooter, good passer, good playmaker, complete defensive negative, just seems uninterested, misses rotations. Um, and just what frequently get blown by defense. Just it, if you watched him play, he seemed like he didn't even know defense was part of the game. I just don't think his offense is good enough for any NBA team to be willing to put up with his defense. Next, Mo Wagner. Uh, so he's off an offensive mismatch. Uh, he'll be able to pull bigger guys out to the perimeter um, and also shown the ability to drive past him when they close out too hard. He's a good shooter, works really hard. Um, he just his his post game is a little limited, but he'll be able to score on smaller guys. Horrible defender. Um, he can't protect the rim at all. He fouls a ton, and on offense, he turned into a really poor decision maker when. After getting a couple baskets, if he scored two or three times in a row, he would start forcing shots or wildly drive to the hoop and turn the ball over, make sloppy passes. To me, he's the next Frank Kaminsky, and picking that guy at number nine overall is a serious problem, but taking (laughs) that guy early in the second round, I think he would be a valuable pickup. Next, Javon Carter. He's another one of these guys. He's older, had a great college career, but he's going to fall because... Teams know what they're going to get. High floor, low ceiling. One of the highest work rates in the country. Really smart player. Great defender. Was Had one of the top steal per game. Uh, or had some of the top steal numbers in the country. He's not a very consistent shooter. Uh, not a great athlete. It's A lot of it just comes from how hard he works. And he's never going to be a, a starter. But yeah, he could be a good third guard in a rotation. It's so stupid to me that NBA teams will let players like Frank Mason last year and Javon Carter and Jalen Brunson this year fall out of the back end of the first round into the second round. 
the bust rate for those 20 through 40 picks is so high. And getting someone who you know is going to be a valuable NBA contributor is really huge. And not only that, if you're getting an older guy, sure, his ceiling might not be as high, but you're getting him on a rookie contract for four of the most productive years of their career if you pick him in the first round. So Carter's going to be another one of those guys that NBA teams don't want to pick because they're swinging for the fences when in reality they'd be so much better off by going for the easy single and picking someone like Carter. Granted, this is a basketball podcast, not a baseball <laughs> podcast, but I think the analogy still applies. No, I got gotcha. you. Next up, the exact opposite of that, Hamadou Diallo. <sighs> God, this guy, he should have came out last year. He would have been a first-round pick just based on his freak athleticism. Um, I mean, he's super low floor, kind of a high ceiling if you can get the effort out of him on a consistent basis. He started the year as a really bad defender, but then at, you know, at the end of the year, he was incredible on defense. So if it's all about which, which version are you going to get. He can't shoot. He can't really play make. Um, if he can turn into like Andre Roberson, that would be incredible. Um, I just, you know, mid second round, not, not a bad guy to take a flyer on. Certainly worth a flyer in the mid second round. And he should be kicking himself every day for the rest of his NBA career for not declaring last year when he would have been a first round pick. That would have been a mistake. I'm not even entirely sure that picking him in the top 40 wouldn't be a mistake just because he can't do really anything except for the fact that he is an exceptional athlete. Next up, Bruce Brown. Uh, Bruce Brown is kind of a sad story. He was projected as early lottery pick at the start of the year and then just kind of got off to a slow start and then had a bunch of nagging injuries that eventually ended up ending his season. Um, I mean, he's a really smart player that projects as a, or projected as a, really solid two-way player. It's just he was inconsistent. His playmaking wasn't quite at the level that we expected. And if these injuries are an actual issue, then, you know, how, how long is he going to be able to be in the league? But if, if he's able to stay healthy, he could be an absolute steal in the second round. I see a lot of Karis Levert in him. I think he's very much someone who has lottery-level talent, but bottom 30 of the draft injury concerns. If he can overcome those, I think he will be able to massively outperform his draft slot. Up next, Tony Carr. So ideally, he could just play Ohio State every game as he destroyed them every time he played them this year. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. I mean, he's a really good offensive player, good shooter, great at getting to and finishing at the rim. Uh, and just, he was just way too ball dominant and a lot of that was probably because he was at Penn State and didn't have much to work with but he needs to improve his ball movement and passing and just his overall effort on defense um, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of that is due to just being the only guy at Penn State that could do anything but and he, he, he could end up being a, a, a nice rotation guard for a team. If he's willing to play a smaller role I think he'll be a solid backup for many many years if he isn't willing to take a backseat, I think he will have a very successful career in China. And closing out the top 40, Trevon Duval. Uh, so a lot of this, you know, might be just because he went to Duke, um, honestly. But he's a good player. He's a really, really good athlete. Great at getting to the rim um, and 
very good passing vision. He did a great job of finding um, Gary Trent and Allen on the perimeter, and then Bagley when he would cut off ball. Um, he's a really bad shooter, though, and tended to get out of control a lot when driving. Uh, and, and just like every Duke player this year, essentially, he just wasn't a good defender. He has the ability to be with his athletic traits, but it, he just wasn't able to put it together. I think he struggled more than anyone else in college basketball this year to adjust from being one of the top high school prospects to being more of a middling college player. And I think that if he can recognize his weaknesses from his freshman year at Duke and build on them, he certainly got the athletic profile to be a really solid player. But I think the question with him is just going to be whether that high school hype makes him think he's better than he really is, which will certainly lead to issues at the next level where he's not going to be a star player. All right. Well, that wraps up the top 40. Tyler, anything else before we go? I don't think so. Just lotteries on Tuesday. Keep an eye out for that where teams fall. And then how keep an eye on the, keep an eye on the combine and see how some guys like Dante DiVincenzo does and see if some of these guys that got invited end up going and hopefully you know more of them make the right decision and go back to school for an extra year and get into that primary role all right well he is tyler metcalf you can find him on twitter at t m e t c a l f one one and of course be sure to Check out the top 40 article on hashtag basketball.com where Tyler goes into a lot more depth, especially on the 15 through 40 players that we kind of went through lightning round style on this podcast. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can also find my written work on the hashtag basketball website. If you've been enjoying the podcast and have been missing it while it's been gone for the past little while, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. All feedback is much appreciated. And of course, be sure to leave a rating or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And as always, thanks so much for listening.